Now, we are continuing our journey through Genesis. This is part 18 tonight. We're going to look at Genesis 19. This is actually part 3 of that. Genesis 20. And hopefully we'll get into Genesis 21. At least introduce it. <clears throat> so I want to say a prayer. And we're going to get right into it. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would minister powerfully to us. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Now, listen, we had um, a meeting last night. I just want to throw this out. Some of our team went, met with an architect, uh, and, and we're very early on in this. This is very preliminary, but I just want to kind of give you a heads up. We, we are out of space. We need more room. Uh, there's stuff going on all over the campus. We're constantly trying to figure out a way, knock out this wall, whatever. But, man, when it comes to Christian education, Sunday school, when it comes to seating and capacity and parking, we've just got to do some figuring out here. And so a team of us uh, went and met with um, an architect. This is our second meeting with uh, an architect, second architect. So I'm just telling you, Vision Sunday, I'm not going to be talking so much about a building, but I just want you to know that there's a lot of things on the horizon. God is blessing LifePoint in unprecedented ways. He's blessing you in unprecedented ways, a lot of you. I, I hear stories. I hear what God's doing in your life. But also, you know, with unprecedented opportunity comes unprecedented attacks. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we will overcome and we will push through and God will do amazing things. So, Vision Sunday is going to be huge. All right. Now, let's pick it up. Genesis 19, verse 26. Verse 26. <clears throat> but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I want to spend some time on Lot's wife for a little bit here, just discussing this woman and figuring out kind of what made her tick and uh, just kind of looking at uh, the subject of Lot's wife. Jesus mentioned her in Luke 17, 32. See Marvin Pate a professor at Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, which was close, that is close to where my family's old home place is in Waldo. And this particular university is also Mike Huckabee's alma mater, but that's not what you want to hear. C. Marvin Pate says that the word Jesus used for remember, remember Lot's wife, means to pay heed to. To learn a lesson from. So Jesus, in context, was talking about the time of his return. And he was giving us an example of someone for us to not emulate. Do not be like this woman. In other words, if you want to know how not to act when the time is short, Remember Lot's wife, pay heed to her, learn a lesson from her, because she was an absolute failure. Now, Guzik says, <clears throat> we see the sin of Lot's wife 
in at least three different yet similar ways. Number one, she lingered behind, but his wife looked back behind him and became a pillar of salt. Moses made the point that Lot's wife looked back behind. She she looked back. Before she looked back, she lingered back behind as Lot and his daughters were running to escape. Spurgeon says she looked back and thus proved that she had sufficient presumption in her heart to defy God's command and risk her all to give a lingering love glance at the condemned and guilty world. He goes on and says, it was by that glance that she perished. So we remember Lot's wife by remembering that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckoned me. You know, it was the angels that were leading this family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels beckoned me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We used to sing that song. When Jesus returns, here's the bottom line. I don't want to be lingering behind, trying to get just a few more things together, trying to make just another dollar and just get another toy in my garage. I want to be looking up, looking away, because this stuff doesn't have me. I may have some stuff, but this stuff doesn't have me. You know what I'm talking about? Now, Jesus said in Luke 9, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, this is Luke 9, starting at verse 57. He said that as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand on the plow and looking back, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. Disciples don't just follow Jesus while on earth. We follow him all the way to heaven. We don't look back when we start following him, him here on earth. And, and why should we stop? We're, we're going to rise to meet him in the air. And I don't want to be grounded looking back saying, just a minute, Lord Jesus. You know, you can't do that in your walk with God. When, when the call of God comes to your life, you got to bow the knee. You have to surrender all. You have to repent. You have to change directions. Quit looking the way you were and look towards him. And it's no different when he returns. It's the same thing. You never stop being that disciple who is following hard after Jesus. Are you with me? I mean, sometimes we get weary. We get tired. But we must never forget that, that we're living for another day, brothers and sisters. We're living for a kingdom that's not of this world. We can't ever forget that. 
We can't ever, ever forget that. We're living for another day. And there are those times when it's easy to live for another day because it's not going so good right now. You know, when the bills are all due and there ain't no money in the bank and your relationships are not going so hot and you just lost your job, hey, heaven's looking pretty good, isn't it? But there are those other times, like the church at Laodicea, when you said, I don't need anything. I'm all right. I got some barns. I'll tear them down, build some bigger barns. I got stuff. I'm fine here. I'm content. I want to tell you, the same attitude that you have when you ain't got nothing, you need to have when you seem to have everything because none of it matters. This is all going to be burned up. Everything we are doing is we're living for another world, brothers and sisters. Are you with me? And I'm telling you, sometimes uh, there are people that live for God when they're on the verge of divorce and bankruptcy, but when they get their stuff together, they kind of say, you know what? It's good now. I don't think I'll go to church. I don't think I'll pay my tithes. I don't think I'll listen to the Word. I don't think I'll read my Bible. I don't think I'll drag my kids to church. Why? Well, we got it going good. That, my brothers and sisters, is the deception of riches. It's the deception of this world. It's a trick of the devil. Remember Lot's wife. Are you with me? Titus chapter 2. You know, Paul said that. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to follow God when I ain't got nothing. And I know how to follow God when I seem to have everything. Man, that kind of, that kind of free. Do you realize the kind of freedom that is, man? The stuff doesn't have me. Take this whole world and give me Jesus, right? That kind, of, that kind of attitude is where freedom is. Because I know some people that have a lot of stuff, but they're not happy still. They want more stuff. But when you don't need the stuff, you got Jesus. Paul said it. I know how to, I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little and to be content. Amen? Oh, it's quiet in here. Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> For the grace of God, verse 11, for the grace of God, listen to this, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Listen to this. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now notice, this is discipleship by following in the present age. Grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared, teaching us we should deny ungodliness, worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age. This is discipleship here and now. But looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In other words, I don't just live a disciplined life so I can say I'm a good little boy. I'm living a disciplined life because I quit facing the way I was and I'm facing Jesus. But it doesn't end 
with just living a good life here on this earth, I'm going to be with Jesus forever in the sweet by and by. So I'm going to follow him all the way. So remember Lot's wife. Lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And on and on it goes. So the first thing that we see is that she lingered behind. The second thing we see about her is that she did not obey the word. She did not obey the word. The angel specifically told them to escape with urgency, not to lag behind, and especially to not look back, verse 17. And what did Mrs. Lot do? She lagged behind and she looked back. When the days are short, when Jesus is soon to return, don't be looking for ways to circumvent, I hope I can get this across, to circumvent the word. Don't be looking for ways to get around obeying what is explicitly laid out in God's word. Don't be trying to justify disobedience. Rather, pay careful attention to the word. That's what the wording of the scripture that says walk circumspect. It means look every which way. Get your, your feet lined up, your walk lined up with God's word. Man, Jesus said it, quoting the Old Testament, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. That stuck out with me. Every word. In other words, don't live by some of the word. Live by every word. Don't pick and choose. I like that word, but I don't like that word. I like love your neighbor, but I don't like be not drunk with wine. I mean, don't do the buffet approach. This is not Golden Corral. I'm trying to think of a buffet nowadays. It seems to shut down everywhere. But but don't don't live by some, but live by all. You know, when I was at home, my mom would say, you eat your vegetables. And I'm like, I don't like my vegetables, Mom. And I'm an only child. You know, you let me get away with a lot. But, man, it, she did the old, you're not leaving the table until you eat your vegetables. For real. There was a day and time when Linda did that. You're not leaving this table until you eat your vegetables. But I don't, want, I don't like English peas. You're going to eat every one of them. And then we did end up with some compromise, you know, like five more bites. You know, So then you get like the little bite. And like, no, that's not a, that doesn't count. Five big bites, you know. I used to do that with my kids, but I did the airplane. Anybody ever do the airplane? Open wide. Logan. I know Karen did that. You do the old airplane. Five big bites. Well, a lot of times when it comes to the word, we'll pick and choose. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to have life, and if you're going to have life more abundantly here, and you're going to cross to the other side, you've got to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Listen, so much more as you see the day 
approaching. It's that idea of when the time is short, when the redemption is drawing nigh, when judgment is coming, remember Lot's wife. So she lagged behind. She disobeyed the word. The third thing that she did was Lot's wife looked at what she was told to turn away from. She looked at it. After lingering, doubting, she looked. The clock is ticking in her life. The countdown had already begun. Judgment was raining down. And she stops, lingers, and takes it in, looking longingly. Now, folks, Jesus is coming back. And we're instructed to look up. We live in such a materialistic society. It's all about stuff. Keeping up with the Joneses, getting more stuff. I've told you before, like Amazon is amazing, is it not? One click and it's done. One click, Miss Cynthia. I don't have to drive to the store. I don't have to drive to the mall. One click on my phone. We were having VBS here. And we needed a car seat for Lyra Jane. If you were at VBS, you know it was wild and crazy. Kids everywhere, confetti cannons blowing up. Like, it was a blast. Can't wait to do it this next year. It was just incredible. And in the middle of all that, Valerie says, we got to get a car seat. I'm like, okay. She's like, no, no, no. Uh, Brittany's showing me a seat right now. We need this seat. I'm like, okay, all right. She's like, no, look, look it up on Amazon. I was like, what's the name? Boom, boom. Man, it came right up. I said, and noise, man, kids, run. we're right back here. Brittany's running VBS. You know? Uh, we're the pastors. We're supposed to be involved. Just, this just took a minute. Wait, okay, right here, right here. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. One click, boom. Okay, I bought it. Woo! You know, confetti cannons, all that stuff. Just like that. It's so easy to get stuff and more stuff. And more stuff. Uh, you know, I'm on QVC. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee at the beginnings of QVC. I, I, I was a rock star, but I also worked at temp agencies. <laughs> you know, like that was my day job. And so I was working at this temp agency. And they sent me out to the very beginnings of QVC. This is in the 80s. So this, they had bought an old mall, like an old shopping center, and they had t a TV studio set up, and they were selling, you know, shoes and purses and whatnot. And, and I kind of got the gist of what they were doing. And I said, Cindy, I said, this is the dumbest thing ever. This will never catch on. Wow, was I mistaken? I mean, just like exploded. I get QVC packages in my house on a regular basis. Somebody in my house, and it's an empty nest. It's just me and her. I guess it's her. So QVC, Amazon, eBay. It's so easy to get stuff, to acquire stuff. And like I've said, I just want to make the, make the point. 
as long as this stuff doesn't have us, we just have to keep that purity of heart and keep living for another day. Listen to this, Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, the King James says affections, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Here, you know, the apostle is saying, keep your focus. Everybody say focus. Here at the end, brothers and sisters, I don't want to stop short, having made it all this way, and then to get distracted. Spurgeon noted that She almost made it. Spurgeon said, doom befell her at the gates of Zoar. He goes on and says, oh, if I must be damned, let it be with the mass of the ungodly, having always been one of them. But to get up to the very gates of heaven and to perish there would be the most awful thing. Powerful. Trapp says Lot's wife turned either out of curiosity or covetousness. He goes on to say, we're as tough to draw off the world as a dog from a piece of meat. I'll never forget years ago, Opie, he's 15 now. He's talking to Mr. Wayne about him. He's got gigantic cataracts. The veterinarian gave us hope and said, the good news is the cataracts are growing. They're big, and the bigger they get, there's a chance they'll slide down, and he'll regain his vision. And we're like, you know, grow, 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 you know, like. (laughs) But old Opie, back in the day when he was a young pup, when we first moved down here, he's probably three or four years old. I'll never forget, I went to the refrigerator and I opened the fridge, and a stick of butter fell out. And Opie happened to be right there. And I looked down, and he's done grabbed that stick of butter, and he's chewing it like a mad dog. It was a whole stick, and he's like, arr, arr. and I'm like, Opie, give that to me. And, man, this is a little, at the time, probably five-pound Maltese. At the time, Miss Cynthia, he, he tur- he's like a wolf, you know? I'm like, give that to me. He's like, (laughs) and he's just, just chewing and eating this stick of more like he's determined. And he ate the stick, the paper, 
and all. Just like that. And I'm like, you have got to be stupid dog, you know. (laughs) But you know how they are. Scraps and whatnot. But, you know, when it comes to the things of the world, man, it is hard to get our attention, our focus where it needs to be. Set your affections, he said, on things that are above. Folks, Jesus is coming soon. You don't hear that message preached much anymore. But let me remind us, Jesus is coming soon. He will part the eastern skies. I don't care what the scientists say. Well, that's impossible. Who can fly? I mean, when you look at science now, they're talking about different dimensions. And, man, they get all deep. Let's just go ahead and open up the possibilities. He's going to split the eastern sky and descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain, we'll be caught up together with them, and we'll meet them in the air, and forever we will be with the Lord. That day is coming, and what a day that will be. But our affection has to be such that when the trumpet sounds, I ain't looking back, baby. I'm headed straight for my Jesus because he died on a cross and he emptied a tomb and he rose from the dead. Now, it's it's interesting what happens uh, here. Verses 27 through 29. It's really disgusting what happens here. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So here we have the the destruction of, Fire and brimstone, fire and brimstone. It's interesting to note God didn't consult with Lot about his plans and purposes. He consulted with Abraham. It was Abraham and his intercession that got Lot out of Sodom in the first place. But neither God nor Abraham could get Sodom out of Lot and his family. Now, Lot and his daughters made their way into Zoar. The Bible says, but Lot was afraid to dwell in Zoar. It's interesting. It's weird. He wasn't afraid to dwell in Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was afraid of Zoar. We have no explanation as to why he was afraid, but shortly after arriving, he left. He didn't stay long. Uh, Pick it up with me in verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zoar, and I'm going to read this passage, but I'm going to read it quickly. He went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. And we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. 
And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, this is what happened. Let us make him drink wine tonight, and you can go and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and did not know he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon or Ammon to this day. Now, this is a terrible story, a hideous story. But I want to cover a few of the aspects in this story. First of all, I want to talk about the wine in this story. I think it's interesting Because when they wanted to do what was unthinkable, when they wanted to violate whatever conscience they had left, they turned to alcohol. Am I wrong? Apparently, they were familiar with its effects ways in which it could be used. They probably picked this up from the culture of Sodom, which we've already looked at. And these girls utilized the alcohol for their evil purposes. Now, I know I sound like an old man, like a dinosaur, like a broken record, so dated, like a fossil, but the truth is, alcohol is a scourge in our land. It blows my mind how up in arms people get over the deception of the tobacco cigarette industry, the manufacturers, and let the alcohol industry get off scot-free just amazes me. Now, again, I'm not trying to take anybody's good time from them, but on the other hand, it's mind-boggling. I've still never heard anyone say, Donovan, my life was a disaster until I started drinking. It's amazing to me the imagery used to sell alcohol in our country. From Clydesdales, backyard barbecues, patriotism, God bless the USA, snow-capped mountains, sugar sand beaches, every sport, smiling faces of the young and the old alike. Downing margaritas, gin and tonics, hard lemonade, Bud Light. It's all a barrel of monkeys. But I'm going to just be honest with you. Let's just call it what it is. All of that is a million miles away from the counseling sessions that I've sat in. A million miles away from divorce court a million miles away from custody battles, a million miles away from abortions, rehab clinics, 
liver transplants, venereal disease. I'm just telling you, folks, alcohol is a scourge. There was a day when the church said, no, we're not going to do that. But now the church says, you know what? Let's have a good time. I'm going to tell you, if it was wrong a long time ago, it's still wrong today. If it caused issues back then, I'm telling you, you can lie, you can deny, but it causes issues today. I don't care what it supports, what industries thrive on the monies that flow from alcohol, it's dirty money. You hear what I'm saying? It's dirty money. And I know prohibition was a disaster. I get that. Man is weak. Flesh is, is weak. You, it's hard to legislate morality. But I'm going to tell you something. That industry is out of control. And these girls knew what to do with the wine. They knew what to do with it. Learned it from that culture, perhaps from their own father, maybe from their older sisters or other sisters and brother and brothers-in-law who were destroyed with Sodom, whatever. But Lot was a fool. One writer said, ironically, in his own drunkenness, Lot carried out the shameful act that he himself has suggested to the men of Sodom. Remember how grossed out we were? Like, I've got these two virgin girls. Why don't you guys take them? Do whatever you want to do. And we're like, how could you do that? Well, here he is months later. It's a disaster. What did it? Well, this fool... It was the alcohol. I'm going to tell you something. Alcohol make a fool out of you. Make a fool out of you. A drunk man will drive off the side of a cliff at 100 miles an hour, not bat an eye, and die or kill somebody else and survive. Make a fool out of him. It's a mocker. The Bible says wine is a mocker. It mocks. You think you got it. It got you. I, I know ministries, ministers that are fighting, man. They're like, they get all up in arms fighting for their right to, to drink. And, and I, maybe I ought to teach on it. I've done it here before. But like alcohol in the Bible, people say, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus was Hung out with drunks. People thought he was a wine bibber. As if Jesus walked around town drunk, holding a bottle, had a koozie, had a red, a red cup with some syrup in it. Like Jesus was tipsy all the time. Oh, Jesus, he's, yo, Jesus, a good time. He's a good time, right? We love Jesus. Those Pharisees are stuffy, but Jesus, man, he's always a little tipsy. Like, that's, what, that's the image that's portrayed. Like, Jesus was a drunk. That's blasphemy. That's insanity. Theologically, that is error. That's a, that's a mishandling that's not rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus was not a drunk. 
scripturally, anytime you crack open a grape, it immediately begins to ferment. I mean, you you may have had some grape juice go bad in the fridge. Well, what you mean by that, when it went bad, it started fermenting. And so, anytime you crack open a grape, it's going to ferment. There is scientific, archaeological, there's all kind of evidence that points and shows. The Bible makes a clear distinction between wine and strong drink. They didn't have Coca-Cola back then, you know. So there's wine and there's strong drink. And strong drink, the tremendously, well, the intoxicating stuff, the wine, it could intoxicate you. You would just have to drink so much of it to get a buzz because it was a very low alcohol content. But the strong drink, it's the stuff, you know, when you want to get drunk, that's the stuff you drink. Start slamming some of that. But the thing is, wine, you see it tolerated. Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for the stomach's sake. Jesus turned the water into wine. But strong drink is always forbidden. Don't do that. And drunkenness is always forbidden. In the New Testament, people say, well, I'll never forget years ago. I was, believe me, brothers and sisters, I've made, I fought this, I fought on a couple different sides on this. There was a day, there was a day when I was fighting for my right to drink. And I went to my pastor and I said, the Bible, <clears throat> the Bible says that uh, it doesn't say anything that about it's, be, it's wrong to drink alcohol. It says it's wrong to be drunk. I was an 18-year-old Bible genius, you know. This man I was talking to had four degrees. And I'm like, Pastor, this is what the Bible said. He said, well, you know, you, you have a point. And he gave me some explanation. And he says, the Bible also says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. They're not good for me. And so when I left that, because of the agenda that was already in my heart, I left there, and I told people, Pastor agrees with me, it's okay to drink. Because I was hearing what I wanted to hear. That's the problem with not rightly dividing Scripture. You start reading into the Scripture what you wanted to say. To me, that's the same thing that Lot's wife did. She's looking back. I want some of that. I hate to leave that. Rather than saying, Jesus, what do you want from me, Lord? The New T I don't have time to go there. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm just, I'm just ready. Let, let me show you what the New Testament says about this while, while we're on this. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians, speaking of Lot's wife, so his marriage falls apart because his wife turns into a pillar of salt, right? And so look at this, verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. Are you with me? I mean, is this amazing or what? I have any amens out there? <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. The days are evil. Time is short. 
Look all around. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The will of God is the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. And do not be drunk with a wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Listen to this. This is the home. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. And he is the Savior of the body. I feel like reading that again. Let me move on. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Excuse me while I put my praise on. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Let me move on. And gave himself up. That he might sanctify a cleanser with the washing by the water of the world and present it, present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives. This is the marriage relationship. It's talking about the church as well. But notice it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea is this. Lot didn't have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit like we do. But if you want your home to be a godly home, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. If you want to go to heaven one day, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. It's pretty clear. Now, The Moabites, the Ammonites, which came from this drunken stupor, these kids that were born, the father of the Moabites, the father of the Ammonites, they were enemies and obstacles to Israel from this time on. And the reason was because Lot allowed worldliness to affect his family. He did not toe the line. Can I say this to fathers right now? Fathers, you have a responsibility to toe the line, to sweep around your own front porch. Mothers, you do as well. Lot allowed the enemy to poison the minds of his wife and daughters, and it was a disaster. Remember Lot's wife. What an awful story. Let's move on to Genesis chapter 20. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now this, this is not as horrible as the previous story. It's a fail on Abraham's part, but it's still kind of funny to me. This is Abraham's go-to. This is his default. I mean, when times get tough, he restores to factory settings. And he says, she's my sister. 
And the truth is, she's his half-sister, which is kind of creepy. And so this is his default. And, and uh, again, now this is, he's been changed. His name is not Abram, it's Abraham. We've, we've dealt with that. He's the friend of God. He's the covenant partner of Almighty God. Your enemies are my enemies. Your friends are my friends. He's the one through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He's highly developed in his faith, and yet here he is, once again, saving himself, saving his own hide, manipulating the facts, making the same mistakes he made 20 years earlier in Genesis 12. Bottom line, no matter how old you get, no matter how long you walk with the Lord, old habits are hard to break. We have our weaknesses, don't we? Those familiar sins, those those besetting sins. Now, look at verses 3 through 5. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she even herself said, he's my brother. So we got Sarah, she's in on it. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, I love this man, Abimelech. He is totally innocent in this. He's a heathen. But God shows up and begins to talk to him in a dream. Now, he warns him, I don't think... He would have let Abimelech touch Sarah, and we'll see that in just a moment. She was was on the verge of being pregnant with Isaac. Isaac's going to be born in the next chapter. And and had he touched her, there would have been a lot of controversy over whose kid is Isaac's kid. Whose kid is Isaac. And so there was too much at stake. So via a dream, which is interesting to me, God talks to a heathen king to course correct Abraham and Sarah. It's fascinating. Look at verses 6 and 7. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. What? Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he, this lying I mean, pistol is a prophet. And he, this lying pistol, will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die and all who are yours. This is amazing. How did God withhold Abimelech from sinning against him? How did God not let Abimelech touch her? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was a phone call, a, a text message, a, a distraction. He's like, I'm going to go check out this girl. Uh, oh, Abimelech, we need you over here. The toilet's jammed up in the palace. You know, I mean, I don't know what it was. But somehow God distracted him. Maybe he had, you know, his CPA calls him and says, we are in trouble, King. Like, I don't know what it was. But somehow, 
he, he's distracted, and he, he, he stays away from her. And Abraham is called a prophet, and his prayers are powerful enough, as we'll see, to heal this man's entire household. And he's a lion pistol. I don't know why I'm saying pistol, but that probably is the best thing to say. Uh, verses 8 through 10. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. I mean, they're like, holy cow, we're going to die because of, of this stupid man. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? God, God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain. You've come to me. You're, you're going to get me wiped out. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? Abimelech is truly terrified. I'm going to lose it all. Verses 11 and 12, Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. Now, this is amazing. She's, she's 90. Now she's getting rejuvenated because she's about to have Isaac, nurse Isaac, uh, Isaac the whole nine yards. If, but I don't know, you know what, Nevia, I, like, uh, QVC cream, you know, like, I need to stop. Stand with me, it'll encourage me, and I've, I've got more notes, I need to stop. I don't know what the deal was, but at 90 years old, Abram is still like, she's, she's so hot, they're going to kill me. So listen, girl, you my sister, right? Yeah, I'm your sister, baby. Don't, don't, don't say baby in front of everybody. I'm your sister. I'm your brother. You're my sister. And so... That's, that was their scheme. And then verse 12, but indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So now, all of a sudden, he's honest, Abe. Right? He's just, just laying it all out there, being totally truthful. And it came to pass, verse 13, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he's my brother. Now, oh, my goodness. Donald Barnhouse points out, this is, uh, there's a terrible meaning in the verb wonder when he says that God caused me to wander from my father's house. The Hebrew word occurs 50 times in Scripture and never in a good sense. It's used of animals going astray, of a drunken man reeling, staggering, of sinful seduction, of a prophet's lies causing the people to err, of the path of a lying heart, Six other words are translated wonder, any one of which Abraham might have used, but he used this terrible word. Barnhouse continues, Abraham should have said, forgive me, Abimelech, for dishonoring both you and my God. 
My selfish cowardice overwhelmed me. I denied my God by fearing that he who called me could not take care of me. He is not as your gods of wood and stone. He's the God of glory. He's the living God, the creator, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. He told me he would be my shield and my exceeding great reward and supplier of all my needs. In sinning against him, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. But that is not what Abraham said. He does this linguistic, gymnastic thing, deflects blame like in jujitsu or some martial art. He actually blames God. He's caused me to stagger around out here, Abimelech. And the bottom line is this. God still said, but if this man Abraham, with his baggage, because of the relationship he has with me, if he prays for you, everything's going to be all right. I've just blown away. That's in a lesser covenant. Let me bring it home. That's in a lesser covenant. We live in a greater covenant. Our relationship with God, never underestimate the power of the relationship with God that you have. It is so powerful. When you fall, he stands. When, he, when you stand, he stands. He's always standing. The idea is this. Abraham, what made Abraham special is that Lot, man, he's like, he's doing all kind of stupid stuff. And, and he's off point in his relationship with God. Abraham gets off in other ways, but that relationship always seems to be intact. Bottom line, foster, work on that relationship with God. And when you fall, still remember, your prayers are powerful. The blood of Jesus is powerful. No matter what you've done, if, if any man sins, let him confess that sin. God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your prayers mean something. The devil's a liar and a thief tells you you got you to go through 17 months of spiritual rehab before he's restored. Here's a guy. The Lord rebukes him. He gets up. He's still not being totally honest about how and why. Doesn't quite handle it the right way, but he still prays a powerful prayer, as we'll see next week over Abimelech in that household. And all those ladies began to have children because this prophet with a problem prayed for them. It's just awesome to me. What a great God. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And it is the, you are the reason that the, the details we get out of these stories to me, it's Abraham's fascinating, but you're amazing. The fact that you don't give up on us, the fact that you still choose to function and operate through us, the fact that you overlook, that you cover, that you forgive, it's incredible. God, when we line up with your plans and purposes, we can make all kinds of mistakes, but we just readjust, we realign to the best of our ability, and you push us forward, God you got great things you want to accomplish in this world, and you'll use people just like us.